Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys this week for another episode. My guest this week is Winfield Bevins. He is the author of many, many books, but specifically we're going to talk about one of his newest books called Living Room Liturgy. Winfield describes himself as a liturgical missiologist, and he's going to explain what that term means, but he also serves as the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary right here in Kentucky, and we just had such a great conversation talking about the heart behind his book, how we could put the message behind it to practice, and in this book, he sort of calls us back to a time where the home was viewed as the domestic church and the primary place of worship was your family or a group of friends and kind of how liturgy can be used in those settings. And we also just had such a great conversation about creativity and process and finding time to really creating time to do our creativity. So here's my conversation with Winfield Bevins. Well, I'm joined by Winfield Bevins, author of Living Room Liturgy, and just found out we're both in Kentucky. Uh, where, where do you live, Winfield? Where, where are you at? You know, I'm in the small town of Wilmore. That's what I thought. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm at Asbury Seminary. Well, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on here and talk about this new book. Uh, first thing, you, you kind of you, you describe yourself as a liturgical missiologist, and could you maybe unpack that for those that are, might be listening that are maybe unfamiliar with what that term means and uh, kind of what, what your mission is? Yeah, I mean, that's really a fancy kind of catchy term to say that I do liturgy and I do mission. So I'm director of church planning at Asbury Seminary. You know, I've been a pastor and a church planner over the years. Um, but I also, I've, I've, I've written a number of projects on prayer and um, kind of daily office, kind of morning and evening prayer. And so this book of liturgy is really for designed for people to kind of bring prayer and worship into the home. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways, you know, I kind of have this sense of calling with my teaching and writing to really equip people for kind of healthy rhythms of prayer and worship uh, throughout the, you know, the, the, the ordinary spaces of their life. Um, but also equipping um, believers to live on mission, to share their faith, um, see churches renewed and revived and, and new communities of faith started. So, yeah, it's kind of a it, it seems like a weird kind of holding these two things in tension. But when you look at the history of the church, you see that that worship um, has always fueled the fire and the passion for mission. And so really, I see the two actually as belonging together. And this year, I think maybe more so than most, whenever we've been stuck at home for a while, we weren't able to go to church and be with our church community. Uh, Church had to be at home. And that's one thing you write about, that that home is a domestic church. And I guess, how timely did this book end up being where, you know, we're spending so much time here at home this year and, uh, you know, we're able to maybe do more church type things as a family. And I think that's kind of what, what you're the part of the focus of this book is on. It is. Yeah. I mean, so I, you know, really the best selling book I've done is this little tiny red prayer book. It's sold tens of thousands of copies. Um, it's, it's a seedbed book, um, and churches buy them up and it's a little kind of pocket edition. And, uh, so I, I have had in mind kind of crafting a, a book of liturgies for the home, kind of recovering the domestic spaces. And 
Um, honestly, when COVID hit, you know, I just, I was working in my closet in the, in the house and literally felt inspiration from the Lord for lack of better. You know, I really felt like the Lord said this need, you need to really press into this project. And so in an interesting way, the, the book was written completely in my closet in the early season of COVID. And, um, I just felt a real, you know, and I shared it with um, the publishing team at Seedbed and they were like, man, we got to get this book out. And so, yeah, I, I really feel like it. And, and again, as kind of, you know, people continue to be in the home. I think, I think in some ways we're in the season of the Lord, just really reminding us of, and I say this in the introduction of kind of the need to rediscover the domestic church. And when you look at the history, you know, the book of Acts, the church was a domestic movement um, of, of, you know, home churches in essence, and how Christianity spreads around the world is in these domestic spaces. And I, I really think the Lord really wants us to reclaim the home as, as a place of worship. That's not like saying, hey, don't be connected to the larger body of Christ or don't be a part of a church, if you will. But, you know, even the early church fathers, all the way up through Wesley, you know, um, Jonathan Edwards, you know, the, you know, during the Great Awakening, uh, leaders have used the term of the home as a, as a little church. Yeah. And we've really lost that in the modern Western world. And I think God wants us to really, in this season, to reclaim the home as a place of worship and prayer. A great segue into my next question is because you kind of mentioned we have kind of lost that in the West. And I think maybe this year, uh, some of us are kind of rediscovering what that might look like or, or kind of trying to figure out what that might look like to kind of have your your home as as kind of yeah. a, a, you know, a appendage to the church that you go to or whatever. But what does that look like, uh, you know, practically, if you're trying to to make your home kind of a domestic church? How maybe those of us that are that are, that are trying this concept for the first time or learning about, you know, we're not used to that. How do we make that work and how, what does that look like? Yeah, I think just one, reclaiming the home and kind of refusing the secular sacred divides of, you know, we kind of see like church worship is what we go and do in a building. But, you know, I, I think it's a it's a paradigm shift really for a lot of us um, in, in the West. And again, I just imagine the millions of Christians in the United States in particular that have just been lost because they've gone to the big box church and they've, you know, they've not been equipped for this. And if all you're doing right now is watching service online once a week and watching a preacher in front of a screen, man, we, we need more than that. And so I think it's a wake up call to really reclaim the home. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I say, you know, one of the things I, you know, I share about this in the introduction and I've, I've written another book called grow at home. Um, a beginner's guide to family discipleship, where I, I just, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like reclaiming family worship, times of worship in the home. It, it, you know, it's, it's often messy. It's not like organizing a professionalized church service, you know, especially if you have kids. And, um, and I think that's the thing is these prayers can, you know, help us kind of uh, trans see our homes as, as thin places. I like that term of our homes can become thin places, kind of like the Celtic saints viewed ordinary places can become sacred places. Mm -hmm. 
and something like a couch or again, I wrote this in a closet, in a dark <laughs> closet. <laughs> like, like, you know, Jesus talks about go, you know, go find your prayer closet. Like literally convert, you know, spaces in your home to just become holy places. And, and you know, for us, um, the dinner table has always been, it's yeah. where life happens around yeah. the dinner table. And when you go to other cultures and other countries, you see Jesus shares a meal. Um, you know, with his disciples, I think reclaiming these places to where ordinary things happen there. If you think like that's where our family, you know, you don't bring your phones to the table. I don't care how old our kids are. Like everybody's at that dinner table together and something it's a core value. And I think reclaiming these places, um, for God and for worship, um, is really significant for us. And and what I, what I'm hearing, kind of the, the thing that are, that are coming to my mind as you're talking is, you know, this, I think one thing that we struggle with as a society is discipline in a lot of ways. And I think uh, making some of this stuff part of our lives is a discipline, making prayer part of our lives is a discipline, um, you know, and what you're talking about, you know, like even just not taking your phone to the dinner table, like I yeah. have a hard time with that. You know, I have a hard time setting my phone down and not eating. I mean, um, it's easy to just say like, hey, yeah, this is what we should do. But, you know, whenever maybe if that's something that people struggle with, not just with phones or whatever, but just kind of unplugging and being with people, um, you know, we're just so used to being tied to something else. Um, And and I think that has affected, at least I I can speak anecdotally, that's affected my, my relationship with God where I'm, you know, spending time watching TV versus time in the word. What's maybe um, I guess, I don't want to say advice, but I guess what what are, what's kind of your, your thoughts on the ways that we can kind of, eliminate some of those distractions to focus more on kind of the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, you know, I literally for another project just finished a thing on rule of life. I think, you know, one of the all kinds of stuff going on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, we we won't even go there. We're going to talk about this book right now, but um, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, we've all lost our rhythms and we're all working from home or, you know, there are obviously those that, you know, frontline and, you know, can't work from home. But again, a lot of stuff is have, we've had to rediscover these spaces. And for a lot of us, our rhythms have been severely disrupted and we got to recover these things. And so rule of life is essentially, you know, the, the idea of a rule is like a, uh, a trellis in which a vine can grow. And I think a lot of us have to rediscover new rhythms for a new season and a new world. Yeah. And so I would just encourage everyone to like sit down with your Bible and a journal and pray and ask the Lord, like, what does my daily rhythms need to look like? What does my weekly rhythms need to look like? What are some annual rhythms? And I think yeah. putting morning and evening prayer um, and I start this little book out with, you know, uh, kind of a framework. Think of a framework for prayer. And that's what these little liturgies are. They're essentially yeah. just, you can take them, adapt them. You can cut and paste. This isn't an official book of prayer by any denomination. This is yeah. something I wrote as a, as a dad and a husband in, in a closet. We've used a lot of these prayers. They, uh, they're, they're for the different seasons of life. Um, but I think in answer to your question, I think having just a, sh- a short time of a prayer in the morning and evening, reclaiming your dinner spaces, setting some boundaries to say, you know what, man, I'm going to, we, our screens are off during dinner time. And the other thing that family does is, again, I got teenage, I got three kids. I got, 
you know, I got two teenage girls and I got an eight-year-old girl. And we, uh, in the evenings, everybody's phone is up, mom and dad's as well. Um, sure, I'll, I mean, I'll be caught sneaking my phone, checking one more thing, and I, I get busted by my kids. And, you know, I love that. Like, we hold each other accountable. Those, those phones are up at 930 at night. Um, computers are up. Nobody goes to bed with the phone under their pillow. Like, listen, you got to fight for your soul and you got to fight for the soul of your, your family. Yeah. Um, and you know, James K Smith does a lot of great work around what he calls cultural liturgies. And, you know, if you're not teaching your family, this stuff, the world is, and that's where for me, finding these rhythms, rhythms of prayer and worship, in the home, if you don't establish these rhythms, the world is going to establish them for yeah. you. And I think as we embark on a new year, I mean, everybody's always, you know, at the start of the new year, looking to kind of make changes from what maybe they didn't do as well the previous year. And, you know, maybe uh, I think a lot of people hopefully are going to realize that, hey, whenever our lives got upended here in yeah. 2020, um, you know, we, we did lose our rhythms and, and maybe wanting to kind of recenter those rhythms in 2021. At least I know that's kind of where I'm at because I've been working from home almost the entire year, except for the brief time that we were in school. But it's yeah. uh, it's been difficult. It's kind of, you know, it's you're having to adjust and all that kind of stuff. And I think what you're talking about with rhythms is is so good, especially as we embark on a new year. Hopefully this virus is done sometime in the spring or sometime early. So yeah. you don't have to keep going on with this. But yeah, it's because uh, I've written a lot about that, too, just about how like, you know, the name of my show is in no hurry. And the idea is basically, you know, we, we all live super busy lives and, and have a hard time slowing down. And I think one of the, the cool things that your book does is I think it does teach us to, you know, be uh, deliberate about those rhythms and slowing down. And I think, you know, as a, as an author, whenever you were, whenever you were thinking about writing this, um, how, how much can these liturgies and this tradition of liturgy and implementing it as a rhythm kind of help us slow down and, uh, you know, kind of recenter our spiritual lives. Yeah, I think the what liturgy does is it gives us words and prayers for the ordinary moments of life. And as a culture, we've lost rituals and rhythms, um, to be honest. And that has been one of the things we, we've lost the ability to pass on the gen, uh, faith to the next generation as a result of that. Um, so there's fancy words like catechesis, liturgy, Essentially what that is, it's just the buzzwords for, you know, uh, prayers that we can pray together. And so in this book, for instance, the layout of the book, there's morning and evening prayer. There's a section of prayers for just ordinary times like, you know, getting a new pet or, you know, um, yeah, I think of, you know, the start of school, you know, there's prayers that you can use for things like that. There's prayers for special occasions, like celebrating an anniversary or graduation. Um, again, just making ordinary events special again. Yeah. And a lot of times we just don't have prayers for these things. Yeah. And the way I see liturgy, I use the language of it helps provide a structure, not a straitjacket. You know, it's this. We're not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about high formality. We're talking about, you know, hey, here's a scripture and a prayer for this special occasion. Yeah. The other thing in the book is we've lost the ability as a culture um, to lament. 
And we've lost, a lot of us don't have language for prayer. We've been living it up for the last several decades as, as a culture in the Western world. Well, what do we do in the middle of a pandemic and a middle yeah. of civil unrest and uh, when things are tough? And so there's a whole section of prayers and liturgies for difficult seasons of life. Yeah. And many of these, I, again, I wrote a prayer for, you know, you know, troubled times, a prayer for, you know, social challenges, a prayer for, um, you know, lament and um, a prayer for the loss of a loved one. My mother passed away um, oh, wow. early on in the middle of this and our family wasn't even able to, I, I went by myself because I was the, you know, I preached her funeral it was outdoors. It rained on us. It was awful, you know, yeah. and um, the, the prayer for, um, you know, mourning of loss of a loved one, we used that little liturgy as a family. And it was, it was actually in some ways more powerful than the actual funeral. Um, we did the little liturgy together and then each of us paused and said a few words about grandmother and we wept and um, it, it created a holy moment there in our living room. Literally, yeah. we used it. Uh, I didn't, when I wrote it, I didn't know I was going to have to use that. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, that's what I love about this little book. It's a book that you can just break out and be like, I wonder if there's a little liturgy for this. Yeah. Oh, there is. And the other thing that I did was there's a seasons of the church year. Every year we roll around Advent, you know, we do an Advent wreath every year. I have to, you know, go find scriptures and prayers and, you know, like, and so I just threw in stuff like that. I selfishly, I, I say selfishly, I put in stuff that like, hey, th what are we, what do we need to use as a family? And so my hopes and prayers, it's a really beautiful hard cover with a soft cloth it cover, with cover gold yeah. embossed. And my hope and prayer is like, I see this as a book I'm just going to have on my, you know, I'm going to break out, you know, for, for the next 10, 20 years. This is a, it's got I was going to say, I envision it just kind of like living on people's coffee tables in their living room. I mean, like whenever I hear the word living room liturgy, it's like, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I could just kind of see a family kind of just pulling this out. Like, Oh, we've got, you know, a pet has died. Let's bring this out and let's yes. see what, yeah, how yep. to pray. And I think, yeah, because one of my questions was, you know, what, what's the best way to use this book? And you've kind of gone through the different, the different examples of it. And I, and I love it because I think um, one thing that I, that I have felt too, and I talked to, another author earlier this year, her name is Val Werner and she creates these prayer journals that were basically designed. Mm. It was kind of out of a, um, a need that she had where she just wanted to journal her prayers out and realized, Hey, yep. people actually want these. She just wrote a book. It's called springboard prayers. And it's basically pre written prayers that like, she basically said she found that there were a lot of people that struggle with how to pray and what to pray. And so her yep. book was kind of geared toward that. And it kind of sounds like maybe some of those same people might benefit from your book too, that are just, you know, maybe they don't know how to pray or what to pray. I guess, uh, you know, who, who was it that you had in mind whenever you were writing this, if there was anybody in particular? Yeah. I mean, or honestly, any group of people, I should say. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I see this as a great book for families. I see, I mean, again, for all different, um, wherever home is for you. So, you know, maybe you're a married couple, maybe you have kids. Hey, maybe you're, maybe you're a young adult who's living in a dorm and that's your home. And these, these prayers are applicable. And just like a traditional prayer book, there's anytime there's language of like, we 
just change it to I or me. You know, you you can personalize these prayers. And each of the liturgies, literally, there's an opening kind of, there's an opening, there's a scripture, then there's a prayer for that particular theme. And I always include the Lord's Prayer because it's a reminder of whether we're praying by ourselves or we're praying with others, we're always praying. And that's what I think liturgy does is liturgy is designed to, it means the work of the people. Right. You know, so, you know, I tell people, don't be afraid of liturgy. It's actually your friend and you can take it and own it. And um, so who's this envisioned for? I, I think it's envisioned for ordinary people. Let's yeah. put liturgy back in the hands of ordinary people um, to bring into their homes. Liturgy doesn't just belong to what happens on a Sunday morning high church service where people are burning incense. No, this is stuff for everybody. Yeah. And I love the idea of kind of those jumpstart prayers or I forget, you know, spring, I forgot, I think called spring it spring prayer. prayer. Yeah. yeah. That's essentially what I had hoped with this is this just gives you a framework to kind of build off of. And, you know, I tell people these prayers aren't designed to replace your personal spontaneous extemporaneous prayers it's not an either or. And I give the example of John Wesley. Wesley and, you know, throughout the, I mean, Jonathan Edwards, like these, these leaders used prayer books, you know, yeah. John Wesley, who's known as, you know, this great leader of the great awakening. Um, you know, he said, I quote him verbatimly is that there's no greater liturgy in all the world that breathes of more scriptural rational piety than the common prayer of the church of England. Like he was a prayer book person, but he also prayed these warm hearted. He wrote his own prayers. He prayed, you know, from his heart. So that's where I think it's not an either or. And I think people are hungry for prayers. And a lot of these prayers, what I love about written prayers is oftentimes the, the, this prayer book tradition is these prayers are just rich in theology and they're very thoughtful. And we've created a culture that devalues the power of words. Yeah. You know, we, we no longer respect our politicians, teachers, or preachers. Um, and we're highly skeptical. And the result of this is words have lost their meaning. And I think what liturgy can do is it can help us recapture the power of, of the spoken and written word. Yeah. Well, as a, as a former journalist and a teacher, I love hearing that because, I mean, I, I do think, yeah, I mean, we, people have, like you said, they, they, they're, they're skeptical of what people say. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's a good word there. Um, but it, I think camping out here kind of on prayer too. I think, I think people have been skeptical of prayer. I mean, you, I see this a lot where when something bad happens, there's a mass shooting and you see people say, you know, you know, I'm praying for them you see all kinds of people say, we need more than prayer. Prayer doesn't work. We need more than prayer. And obviously as Christians, we know that there is deep power, not just in prayer, but who we pray to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those things where, you know, prayer really can change lives. It can change things. And so uh, what, as you're writing this, what, what, are, what are maybe you, what were you hoping that people might take away just about the importance and value of prayer itself? Yeah, I think finding that prayer is, um, again, it doesn't just belong to the clergy, but prayer belongs to all of us. And I come out of, uh, I'm an Anglican, and so I I embraced Anglicanism, um, you know, 
a number of years ago coming out of like a free church background in, in search of um, this rich, vibrant, historic prayer tradition. And, you know, the Anglican book of prayer is called the Book of Common Prayer. And the idea is that these prayers belong to all of us. And what I love about historic prayers is they're the prayers of the church. They're the prayers of all of us, like the Lord's Prayer. It's the family prayer. It's our prayer. It's our common prayer. And I think what I would love for people just to, to regain is this sense of when they're praying, they're praying, you know, Scott McKnight a number of years ago uh, wrote a, uh, you know, a book on kind of on this idea of praying with the church is that even when you're praying by yourself, you're still praying in, in, in unison with the Christians past, present and future. And that's what I love about this, this, this idea of these prayers is we're joining our voices with the saints. Um, we're never really praying alone. And that's what liturgy does, is it reminds us that our prayers are always in solidarity with the church. And again, that's one of the reasons why in each of the prayers I do, I do have the Lord's Prayer in there because it's always connecting us back to the prayer that our Lord gave us. Yeah. I love that. That's a good word. And, you know, I, you, we kind of talked earlier, you've got so many projects going on. I'm a writer myself um, working on what I hope will become my first book. And I'm just, I'm curious how you're balancing so many different projects as, as a writer and you've got other things going on too. That's not your full-time thing. You know, you obviously you work at a college and you're planting churches. How do you balance all this? And what is sort of your, your process? Cause that's one of the things that I love to talk about with people on the show is just their creative process. So what is kind of yeah. your process to get from point A to point B in these, yeah. in these, in these books? Well, honestly, that could be a, another episode if you wanted I actually <laughs> do a, um, actually do a thing on, on writing and publishing rhythm I actually do for all incoming doctor ministry students. I have a, um, lecture that I do called finding your rhythms of writing so I'd love to talk with you maybe about that as a separate, just a fun conversation oh, yeah. just on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, gosh, how, how do I take a big lecture into like a one question? <laughs> <laughs> a capsule version. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think finding your rhythms, I think that's, that's a part of it is like finding when, when's the best time of the day. Um, it's kind of like we give the majority of our energy and time to stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then we save the scraps for, you know, for, oh, I'll get 10 minutes. I know God's called me to write a book. He's put this in my heart, but I'm never going to give any time to it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, and it's kind of like one of the other things with me is, yeah, I'm crazy busy, but, you know, five o'clock rolls around. I'm going to put my computer away. I'm going to like, one of the gifts of working from home is, you know, we're homeschooling and, you know, I'll pause the afternoons, I take a little time off for tea time in the afternoon, and it's kind of like a little family tea hour. And um, my birthday, I just took the day off. And I, one of the things I do, I paint. I'm an artist, okay. and oh, I do cool. iconography. And you can check out my artwork on Instagram. I do, I do commissioned pieces. I used to run an art gallery. Wow. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So I see a connection to writing. And again, you, you kind of opened a big window here, but hey, that's fine. this is, this is where I love to live here is talking yeah. about all this stuff. No, absolutely. Well, that's right. And, and so it's for me, writing as an artist, writing comes from the same place that I uh, create artwork. And it's kind of like as an artist, if you 
you have to create space to go there. I use the analogy of like, it's almost like if you're going to scuba dive for sunken treasure, it's going to take you a while to even get there. You got to get, you know, you got to get your equipment, you know, you, it'll take you say time to actually submerge to get to that ship to even look for the treasure. Yeah. And you have to schedule time for that. And if you don't have scheduled time to just be creative, you'll never write. Yeah. And so I think you've, you have to carve out space. If something really matters, you've got to schedule it. And that's back to the rule of life piece, like schedule time for creativity, schedule time to do nothing, but just be creative. And I know that sounds very like a lot of people just don't, you know, I get that a lot of people just don't have time for that type of, but I, I, I think we do. I think we have more time than we realize if we just got off of our screens so much of time. And that's where it's funny. Like, I don't even know how, but you know, my phone just will pop up and be like, you're, 10 minutes over your average for the week of, you know, like we have more time than we've realized. And that's where I think we got to really schedule time to just be creative, schedule time to write. And so what I do is I just leave um, periods where I don't take appointments and I just take appointments with myself, you know, just to write or create. And um, I like, I'm writing a book with my eight year old right now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You know, I just, we're calling it, it, uh, what are we calling? We're calling unbelievable bedtime stories. And we just, That's cool. we have fun. We just dream and we'll just write out like what these stories are going to be. We'll kind of story brand them. And then, um, then I'll sit down with her and take that list and begin to type out the stuff. And, you know, so we're, we're about seven, eight stories in, That's um, cool. probably just self-publish it, I'm sure, but could be my legacy piece, you know, it could there be the greatest book I've ever written. Could be your new bestseller. It might sell more than the, the pocket <laughs> prayer book you were speaking of earlier. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're saying about creating time to create is something that I know that I've struggled with. Cause I think it, a lot of times we wait for what we feel like is inspiration or a muse to be able to be like in the right frame of mind to write or create something. And I think yeah. if that's, if that, I know for me, like if that's my approach, it might be two weeks between writing sessions because I just am so big and I, like, I'm just not in the mood. And it's like, if I really care about this, I need to make the time for it. So I think yeah. what you're saying is, is good. Uh, how did you learn that discipline? Was that something you were always born with or was that something you had to train yourself to, to learn? Well, what I do is I think keeping a discipline of just keeping a journal, you know, and yeah. you just write down ideas. Um, I always start in terms of writing a book you know, uh, you'll have the big idea going from idea to reality, conception to completion, you know, and again, that's a whole um, side conversation really to go a deep dive into kind of the process of writing a book. Um, But oftentimes I'll lay out an outline and that will help me. It's kind of like preaching a sermon or a liturgy again is kind of like an outline and I see again, that idea of structure, not a straight jacket. You need a structure kind of like tracks on a train for a train to run. If you yeah. don't have tracks, it's going to go nowhere. Yeah. So I always start with an outline. And then um, what I've seen is the outline always changes once you get into the writing project. It's not about legalism here, but it's about, you know, having a framework um, to kind of build upon. And so that's, that's basically what I did for this liturgy book. I just kind of started with, Hey, these, these are some needed liturgies. I could do these. 
And then as I got into the project, I'd be like, man, I got to, you know, what about the poor and neglected? What about people are depressed? What about a liturgy for the depressed and downcast people? Millions of people are out of work. I put a work, a liturgy for the loss of work. Um, uh, what about racial reconciliation? You know, I, I really kind of, uh, as, as I got into the project, I kept adding to it, you know, and that's where, again, just create an outline and it's going to change once you really kind of get into whatever your writing project is. Um, again, like the idea of a sermon, I think of a sermon or a talk that you give, you, you can create an outline, but I don't preach like, or talk, what I'll do is I'll create like an outline, but I don't do a full manuscript because I want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to breathe into it. Yeah. And that's how I see this, the, the creativity process is you create an outline, um, but it'll change once, you know, you got to leave room for the spirit to kind of breathe into it. And the same thing with liturgy and these rhythms is, um, rule of life. Again, it's not about legalism, but again, it's about having a framework to help you get to really Christ-likeness, growing in in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Um, These are frameworks that help us kind of um, grow in our faith. Yeah, I think that's so true because I know like when I teach my my English students to write, I'm I'm, I'm always big on you need to have an outline. Otherwise, you're really kind of just starting blind. You don't know where you're going with, yep. with your ideas. And and that's you don't want to go down a path, start writing, and realize I don't really have much there. And so an outline, like you said, I like that. It's it's more of a structure than a straitjacket. You shouldn't feel limited by, by the structures that you're putting in place to help you. So I think that's a great way to put it. And so how, how do you... How do you balance all the, because you, you mentioned the different writing projects you have going on, seemingly, I guess, together at once. How do you balance the different projects that maybe have different ideas? You might be writing two or three books or working on two or three books that <laughs> yeah. are all different in their ideas. How do you kind of balance, like, when you have an idea, it goes to this project versus this project? And how do you just keep that all organized? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you haven't figured it out yet, but I don't know. Well, one <laughs> blessing is I do have I do have an assistant um, yeah. that um, so I realize a lot of people don't have you know you know I you know I oversee programs I teach I travel I haven't traveled this year um, which actually has been a gift um, yeah <laughs> but I, I usually um, in a typical year you know I'm traveling a couple times a month I'm on a plane and I, I do international travel a couple times a year. And what I kind of do is, you know, I have these big, how I personally work, and again, back to these rhythms, is I have several big things that I'm doing. And I do deep dives because I'm an artist. I think, you know, I've got a little ADD going on. And if you're into the Enneagram, I'm a, I'm a seven, you know, so. Oh, interesting. I would have thought you were a four. So. Yeah. So. I'm a, I'm I, a four. So, so I, I, the creative, I'm just insanely creative and. Um, and I love ideas. I love new things. And again, I have some systems that I know my weaknesses and I'm all constantly revising. I'm constantly going back to like, what do I need to cut? Because I just add so much stuff. But in answer to your question, I actually, what I do is I have several big things that I'm working on and I'll do a deep dive into something when I'm really feeling it or passionate about it. And then I'll step out of it then I'll focus on something else and then I'll come back to it. 
And that's where like this, you know, I'm also working on a second doctorate at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) What can, what can you not do? (laughs) Like, who is this guy? I'm sure you're like, this guy's talking to the most interesting man in the world, apparently. (laughs) Um, yeah, I wouldn't even talk about the PhD, what, what I'm focusing on at (laughs) university of Aberdeen. I'm working on a PhD in Scotland too, but, um, what, what I've found is I'll, I'll do these deep dives into one project and then I'll reach almost to the point of just being zapped of mental energy and I'll step out and then I'll jump into another project and I'll have fresh energy and new eyes for that. Uh, yeah. That makes and sense. so that's where the, these rhythms for me is um, I'll, I'll give myself to something and I'll step back and then I'll come back to it a, a few days or even a week later and I'll have new fresh insights. And I think that's the other thing is again, by having, again, bringing it back to liturgy, bringing it back to daily prayer is by having these points, they're kind of like points that allow us to, okay, I'm going to come back and recenter my life on Christ. And so having these daily, weekly, and even annual periods of time where we can go deep and reflect, um, you know, having periods of rest, having periods as a, as a writer, author, um, as a leader, just having, you know, again, five o'clock, I, I, I really do. I mean, it sounds like I'm just a workaholic, which in some ways we all are, but I really do cut things off um, at a time and just really spend time with my family. Yeah. I take the weekends, uh, Sundays, I try to, now I break this, but I try to, you know, not be on a screen. I try to paint. I try to do stuff that's non-writing or work-related. Um, Saturdays um, are just a time with the family. Um, and then, you know, I try to take a week or two a year, you know, again, vacation with the family where I don't access any email. Um, I typically will try a week of, you know, I'll do a retreat. Um, usually here in Kentucky, Abbey, Abbey of Gethsemane, you know, I try to go down there regularly. Um, so yeah, just this balance of rest, work, play, you know, I think play and is, is important having time to just do, um, there's, there's a book that I would recommend, um, called essentialism that I've found very helpful for me in terms of these you know, I, I know the big things that I need to be doing and I give myself to what is the most essential. And I, my challenge is I have several big essential things that I'm doing, but I have administrative help that helps me pull those things off. Yeah. But knowing what's most important, I think that's the thing is a lot of people are doing a bunch of busy work thinking they're accomplishing things, but because they don't know what's most essential, nothing really ever gets done. Yeah. Um, so I have several, three or four really big things that I'm constantly working on, but it's all essential and all really matters. And I kind of jostle between those three or four major projects that I'm constantly working on. Yeah. So you, you sort of, uh, it was a perfect segue. The, the, the final question I always love to ask people, you kind of already answered it. So we'll see, maybe we can ask a different way. I always ask people, um, you know, my show is called In No Hurry. And so I always like to ask basically, what do you do to slow down? And you kind of explained that pretty well, but maybe in this year, what did you find was most life-giving about, you know, the, this year where I know it's been a hard year, 
2020 was a hard year, but um, what did you, what did you find was most life-giving about not being able, or even just, I guess, pandemic in general, not having to travel as much, not really having yeah. to do as much. What, what has been the most life-giving part of that? Yeah. I mean, again, I, it's this year has in some ways been a gift of a year for just writing and going deep with some projects that normally I'm balancing that with travel and a lot of teaching and speaking at conferences. And so I've just used this as a time just to enjoy my family. Um, I, the other thing I do is I try to regularly walk and hike. I, you know, we had started a church in the Outer Banks, North Carolina on an on a little stretch of islands on the East coast. So I'm a surfer and we gave up <laughs> Island living to come to Kentucky. <laughs> People are like, Man. why did you do that? <laughs> um, Asbury seminary made me an offer. I couldn't refuse. Yeah. And um, I love what I do. And um, I think, you know, trying to find something that you love, what you do is important. Um, I think getting outdoors for me has been, if, if I didn't have access to walking and getting outside, you know, we have a beautiful field in our backyard, go find a park. I mean, get outside. I think um, there's another book I'll recommend. You probably already read it, but it's called um, Daily Rituals. Have you heard of that little book? I haven't, I haven't read that one. As a, as a journalist, as a writer, teaching literature, you will love this. Um, a journalist wrote this. He did He did a study of the other thing, and again, maybe this is a future conversation or a you know sidebar conversation we could have at some point. But I've studied the life of writers, um, and I've studied the highly effective habits for kind of creative thinkers that accomplish. So, I feel like I've tapped into this space of being incredibly um, finding these rhythms, if you will, of writing, prayer, worship. All this stuff kind of goes together for me. Um, but, but in answer to your question, when you look at the life of a lot of these highly productive in this book, Daily Rituals, you have really crazy um, people um, who are highly creative composers, thinkers, writers, artists. A common theme is they, they create blocks of time where they just do nothing but do what they do. Um, but one of the common themes is... Um, they will take breaks, little mind breaks in the midst of it, and they'll go for a walk. Almost all of them in this book, um, they would just go outside. So, um, you know, if they were in a major city, they would just go walking in the city. You know, if they were near the woods, they would go walking in the woods. Um, and then they would go back into their cave and write and do whatever they were doing. Um, and I think just finding finding the balance in your life. And for many of us, and I'll end on this note is many of us have lost our rhythms yeah. and we got to find new rhythms. And so create a new rule of life. Living room liturgy, I think is a book of prayer and worship for the home that can help families. It can help, um, you know, people of all walks of life to find new rhythms in the midst of a, a rhythmless, you know, season and more than ever in this digital age with stuff like, you know, again, Zoom, we're all Zooming, we're Zoomed out, you know, in many ways. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got to find new rhythms for our sanity and for, for the sake of our soul. And I, I think that's where liturgy in, in the ordinary spaces of our life and our home can really help re, re, re ground us 
um, in our in our walk with Christ. It's a great way to end this. Thank you so much for your wisdom and uh, taking some time to to share your thoughts about this new book and about your creative process. Because I think for me personally, I mean, I I always love talking to people because I always I, I feel. Um, I don't know if inspired is the right way, but I always love hearing the way that people operate because it makes me feel like maybe I can implement some of those practices into what I do. And, you know, obviously I've got projects that I'm working on, but I'm not always the best about being disciplined. And I know that's something that personally I want to work better on. So hope anybody listening that is a creative person can kind of learn from your process and uh, some of these rhythms that you're talking about. So thank you so much for joining us. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, WinfieldBevins.com is my personal website. Um, I'm on Twitter, Winfield Bevins, Twitter. Um, I use Twitter, Facebook, Instagram for three different kind of purposes, but Twitter, um, Facebook are kind of more writing oriented and just kind of thought pieces. Instagram is my artwork. So if you're an artist, you're interested in art, um, you probably have some fun kind of checking out some of the, some of the artwork that I do on, on Instagram, but would lo- would love to hear from you. Um, uh, you know, I regularly engage with people, you know, on social media. And so love to hear thoughts, questions, feedback. Um, the new book living room liturgy is available at seedbed.com. Um, a lot of my books I've written on liturgy. Uh, I did a research project on liturgy. That's a Zondervan book that came out last year called ever ancient, ever new, the allure of liturgy for a new generation. Um, that's a that's another book I'd, lo- I'd love to highlight and just maybe hear the audience's um, feedback on that and how they connect with some of the ideas in those books. Awesome, yeah, I'm excited to check those out too. I'm gonna obviously I've got Living Room Liturgy uh, Seedbed gave me a copy of a, a digital copy of it, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to come more through that. And then the other ones that you mentioned, I'm excited to come through those too. So I feel like once I read one of yours, there's gonna be two more that are coming out because you're so busy writing books. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to play catch up on on Winfield Bevins books, that's for sure. But thanks again so much for joining me, and uh, we'll definitely have to have another talk just talking about writing and, and the creative process, kind of more in depth, like we were getting to there for a second. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed it. Winfield is awesome. So glad you guys got to hear from him and hear the heart behind his new book and really just kind of how he works. Obviously, he's got a lot of things going on creatively. So I appreciated hearing his creative process. But definitely check out his new book, Living Room Liturgy, and give him a follow on social media. Obviously, he's pretty active on just about every platform, but give him a follow. Let him know you enjoyed hearing him on the show. And as always, if you guys need me, you can find me at Cole Claiborne on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me at Cole Douglas Claiborne on Facebook. I would love to connect with you. Also, I want to invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. Just head to ColeClaiborne.com, click the newsletter tab, and you can sign up there. I would love for you to be a part of that community. Each week, I send out a devotional and do some giveaways here and there. So if that's interesting to you, then go ahead and sign up. I'd love to have you be a part of it. Starting next week in February, with it being Valentine's Month, we're going to be talking about marriage on this show. And I'm really excited about it because we've never done anything quite like this. My wife, Emily, is actually going to help me interview some guests. We're going to have some younger couples, some more seasoned married couples, just talking about what has worked well for them and what they've learned about each other and just kind of get a variety of ideas about marriage. So really excited for that. I hope you guys will tune in next month as we talk to some couples and whether you're married, dating, single, I think there'll be something that you can get out of all those conversations. So I hope you'll tune in. But as always, I hope you guys have a great week. Hope you find some time to relax, 
and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next week.